Welcome to Murder and Mayhem, the podcast where we explore the dark and mysterious side of writing. It's a world filled with more evil and crime than you can shake a sharpened stick at, where people save the world from certain destruction, where spies, terrorists and thugs abound, and where the killer could be someone in your very own home. It's also a world often filled with flawed heroes and likeable villains. But above all, it's a place where we explore the authors who tell these very stories, what makes them tick, and how their words manage to take us to some of the darkest corners of our imaginations. Hello everyone, my name's Valerie Koo and I'm host of the Murder and Mayhem pop-up podcast. This episode is brought to you by the popular online course, Anatomy of a Crime, How to Write About Murder. Over eight spine-chilling modules, you'll delve into each step of the murder process, including the psychological, forensic and legal aspects of homicide from premeditation right through to prison life. Brought to you by one of the world's leading centres, for writing courses, the Australian Writers' Centre. Using both real and fictional cases, you'll discover the many faces of killers, the police who pursue them, and the victims who get caught in the killer's trap, all designed to enhance your crime and thriller writing and help you bring writing about death to life. It's a self-study course with a full audio program, including accompanying handouts and videos and resources where you can view real forensic and police reports and a dissection of real murder scenes. Find out more at murdercourse.com. That's murdercourse.com. Well, welcome to this pop-up podcast, everyone. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm sure you're wondering what a pop-up podcast is. Well, this podcast, Murder and Mayhem, is a pop-up podcast, and it's only going to run for a limited period. Uh, Just like a pop-up shop is a shop that appears out of nowhere for a flash period. That's what this podcast is all about. And we're focusing on crime and thriller writing, and we're celebrating the wonderful world of crime and thriller writing because this is the kind of writing that gets us on the edge of our seats. You know, we're chewing our nails and we're wondering whether we've locked the doors before we've gone to bed. Now, some of the world's best-selling authors are crime authors, and this genre has certainly exploded in recent times. And it seems that we can't get enough of the world of crime and thriller writing, whether that's, you know, international espionage like Jason Bourne or true crime and serial did a lot to promote true crime, the, the wonderful podcast serial and recent trends of domestic thrillers like Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn. Now this pop-up podcast also corresponds to Crime and Thriller Month and to celebrate Crime and Thriller Month you're going to receive an episode every single day of the month and then that's it. That's why it's a pop-up. Now, we've interviewed so many crime writers that we've decided to bring them to you all in one go, and it's a nice package so that you can appreciate them in a short, sharp series. Of course, it's up to you whether you're going to binge-watch them, like I binge-watch House of Cards on Netflix, or whether you want to space them out. But if you're interested in crime, I hope you'll enjoy getting to know some of the crime and thriller authors you'll meet in this podcast, because I think it's absolutely fascinating to discover 
What makes them tick? How do they come up with their ideas? Do they always and constantly think about crime and murder in their spare time, you know, while they're doing the laundry, while they're doing the dishes? So it's quite fascinating, I think, to get into the mind of a crime and thriller author, possibly even more fascinating than it is to get into the mind of a criminal. Now, these interviews originally appeared in our other podcast called So You Want to Be a Writer, and that's where we feature writers from all genres, from romance to crime to nonfiction and much more. But for Crime and Thriller Month, we wanted to curate only the crime and thriller authors so that you could discover them all under one podcasting roof. To kick us off, we have Candace Fox. Now, I first met Candace when she had only written her first crime book called Hades. It's the first in a series of three, and it won a prestigious Ned Kelly Award for crime writing. Since then, she has become a breakthrough crime and thriller writer. You know, she's released the rest of the series. The second book was called Eden which also won a Ned Kelly, and then the third book, Fall. And in 2016, she co-wrote a book with none other than the iconic James Patterson. And it's a book called Never Never. Now, I was immediately intrigued by Candace's background and how that has influenced her writing. You see, Candace has an unusual family background. She actually comes from a quite large, eccentric, I would definitely say eccentric, family from Sydney's western suburbs. And she has siblings and half-siblings and adopted siblings and pseudo-siblings. Her mother was a very enthusiastic foster carer who at one stage was had fostered over 140 children. And she's also the daughter, as in Candace, is also the daughter of a parole officer. Her dad was a parole officer. So she spent her childhood listening to lots of stories about prison life and violence and criminals. And uh, a lot of police would often drop by their house to drop off some foster kids and tell stories about how they got there. So when Candace finally entered the workforce, she actually went into the military and had a stint as an officer at the uh, Royal Australian Navy when she was 18, but then decided it wasn't for her. So she turned her hand to academia for a while and uh, taught high school and did some degrees at university, but then really found her niche writing crime because she grew up reading crime. So let's hear from Candace. So thanks for joining us today, Candace. Oh, thanks for inviting me. Now, tell us about your new book, Eden. Okay, so uh, Eden is uh, the continuation of um, the Bennett Archer series, uh, which I started with my novel Hades. Uh, it sort of picks up where um, Hades left off, um, and I don't want to ruin that for people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suppose uh, it's just um, looking at the partnership between Frank and Eden and how strained that is because she's a, um, a serial killer, and obviously his job is to catch serial killers. So I'm Emotionally, he's trying to deal with <laughs> with all of that. Um, Eden is going undercover to find um, three missing girls uh, in the outback of Australia um, and Frank is helping her father, um, underworld figure Hades Archer, to find who is stalking him from his past. 
Wow. Now, this, as you say, this is a, the sequel to Hades. Mm-hmm. How did you come up with the idea for this series? Because it's pretty out there. It is. <laughs> you know, like this detective serial killer in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with this, unbelie- you know, fantastic, fantastical life. How did you come, idea, uh, come up with the idea? Um, I, uh, I suppose it came from a range of places. Um, I mean, I've always wanted to write something dark and grisly and something that sort of t- uh, used my background um, in crime and my interest in crime, you know, to write something really, really dark. Um, my mother used to foster children um, when I was very young. I mean, I'm one of six and she used to foster you know four and five at a time and so from a very young age I had police hanging around in my kitchen at home Mm. you know I I would wake up in the middle of the night and there'd be you know three cops in the kitchen all having coffee with my mum and you know some family of kids you know in the corner terrified um you know and it sort of just you know got the idea for me from a young age that that the world is full of scary people, um, that children aren't always safe, that children themselves are sometimes uh, quite scary people. Mm. And I suppose that um, comes from, you know, some of them being violent, some of them being quite traumatised, things like this. Uh, And then I've got my father who was the parole officer at a Sydney prison and he would come home and tell my mother, horrific stories um, of things that would go on in the prison and things that people who were in the prison had done. Uh, And so as a little kid, I'm just growing up in this environment where I learn that crime and murder and mayhem are just a part of the world. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So as a child, were you scared or did you just think this was a normal life? Like everyone had a life like this? Oh, I suppose, uh, no, I wasn't really scared. Um, it was just, it it was for me learning that there are different shades to the world. I mean, I, I wasn't the kind of kid who believed in Santa for very long. Um, and I, I was just, you know, slapped with reality. Um, and it was good. I mean, it armed me for things like loss and death and, um, you know, violent things that I would see that would probably... Um, you know, traumatise other people throughout my life. It it made me pretty tough, I think. Um, And it also just grew this dark imagination. I mean, my friends were feeding their imagination at that time with, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia and stuff like that. So they obviously grew up, you know, with quite light and bright imaginations. And I have quite a sick imagination. And it's just because, you know, I mean, my my mum was crime obsessed and her entire library and it still is was all true crime um and so yeah yeah and so if I ever wanted anything to read I would go into her room and read her true crime books so I (laughs) like I was seven and eight and reading these you know these grisly these grisly crime true crimes and just loving it absolutely loving it you know um I've never been sort of that badly disturbed by anything I've seen or or heard in 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 them uh you know and um and it just uh I've got a massive catalogue that I've put together over the last 
you know, 25 years of all this criminal information. Um, So it's just very useful for me as a writer. (laughs) So you're obviously fascinated by it. What about it is so fascinating about crime and the dark side of stuff? I suppose it's... It's it's not just me, you know. People say, "Oh, why are you so fascinated by murder?" But everyone is, you know. When there's a crime scene at the side of the road, people slow down. They want to see. It's natural to be fascinated by dark stuff. I think I'm just really, really fascinated by it. Um, <laughs> I suppose, I suppose I am always looking for an answer um, as to how people got to the stage that they're at. I mm. mean, some of the, um, you know, some of my, I, I hesitate to say favourite murders because that sounds like, <laughs> you know, I have no compassion for the, you know, the victims. But mm. some of the murders that have most um, intrigued me that I've read about, I, I have been so fascinated when I've heard what has happened. How did that killer get to that stage? You know, what happened to Ted Bundy in his childhood mm. that made him you know, do what he did. Um, I, I'm just really interested in that. And I think it's it's also a little bit primal as well, murder. Mm. It's, it's very close. You know, most people won't admit, oh, you know, I have been so angry in my life sometimes that I could kill someone or I've, I've wanted to kill someone. Most people don't say it, but I, I feel as though it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly I'm happy to say it. I have been angry enough you know, um, at times, um, that I could kill someone, but I obviously haven't, um, you know. So So when you wrote the first book, Hades, did you write it knowing it was going to be a series or did you write it as a standalone and then you thought, oh, this would be a good idea for a series afterwards? Mm -mm. No, no. I, um, I wrote four novels before Hades and for some reason I was I shied away from full on crime fiction. I you know, I, I had crime elements in, you know, one was a fantasy and one was a paranormal and one was an action thriller. And and I sort of went, I'm just gonna bite the bullet and do crime. I don't know why I was resisting so much. Um, yeah, especially considering you're obsessed <laughs> with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I sort of I, I don't think I believed very much in my procedural knowledge, but when I started doing it it was all right um uh what i so i'd i'd been struggling to get any attention from publishers across those four novels i'd previously written i mean I'd, i had 200 rejection letters plus wow you know, yeah and i i just i stopped counting them after 200 because i thought this is really depressing <laughs> <laughs> and um uh, you know uh so i i I knew some publishers, publishers knew me only because I'd cried on the phone to them, you know, when they rejected me and this sort of thing. And I, I was just, you know, I was just going at it. And so I, I didn't believe at all that it would be published. And so I didn't want to waste my time with a sequel. But I, then again, I did really like it and I wanted to submit it to publishers um, with you know, the option for them to say, hey, I like this and it has potential for a series, I Mm. think I'll take it, you know. So I I left the end of it open in that way. It could be satisfying enough to finish it, but that door is just open a little bit. Mm. And so it's... um, did you have have you thought of going back to those four other novels now, or are you continuing on with this series? Oh no, no, I couldn't go back. Um, I I have just finished um, book three of the um, 
the Bennett Archer series uh, and that's going to be out this December. So I have to finish that off and write what I'm going to write this year. Um, it's I'm in an interesting time because, you know, uh, the Bennett Archer series is going to the US this week. It's in Hebrew. It's in Spanish. Oh, it's going to be out in Spanish, this sort of thing. So it's getting quite a lot of global attention. Mm. Um, so I don't know if people are going to be like, we need more of these. Um, <laughs> so I've written three, yeah. And that door is open a little bit at the end of three. But then for this year I thought, you know, I want to show people. I'm a new author. You know, I'm the new kid on the block. I want to show people that I have other characters and I have, you know, within crime because mm. um, that's my genre. Uh, but, you know, I want to show people that I have other settings and other crimes and other partnerships to explore and I'm really excited <laughs> about the next partnership. But if somebody comes along and says, no, you need to be doing this, I'll have to turn back around, you know. So you write crime thrillers and they are, they can be complicated because, you know, you have to keep the pacing up, you have to keep the suspense up, you have to keep the reader engaged. I mean, as you do with any book, obviously, but do mm. you plot out your books like so you know what's happening by the end, like when you, when you first start, or do you start and then see what happens? Um, I... You know, I have degrees of knowing. I, I never sort of get a big piece of paper and map it all out as some writers do with little post-it notes and things and highlighters. I can't do that because it just it ruins the mystery for me, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I sort of like um, there was somebody, there was a writer that I, can't, I can never remember his name and he said that um, it's like you're driving somewhere at night, you know, and you can just see as far as the headlights and that's like that's as far as you need to see really mm. um, and you can get all the way there. So I sort of set out with a general idea of where I'm going um, and sometimes unexpected things happen but, you know, not you know, once I sort of go, oh, the killer is um, Jason Beck and this is why he kills people and they're, you know, uh, once I have all of the main players mm. on the board, I sort of know what they're going to do with each other. Mm. Um, when I when I wrote Hades, um, I got to the final scene and I didn't know who was going to come out of that alive um, as mm. I was writing it, you know, so it was very exciting to write because yeah. um, I was just putting it down as it was coming up in my mind. Wow. Um, yeah, but the rest of it had been sort of mapped out at least mentally. Mm-mm. And yeah. so, I mean, I wonder what it's like living in your head because <laughs> <laughs> can you try yeah. your best anyway to describe what it's like thinking about crime and murders all the time. It can be quite awkward. It really can. <laughs> that's um, because one way sometimes, of, that's yeah. an unusual word. Awkward. Oh, I'm a, yeah, I'm a little bit socially awkward uh, anyway. Um, people have to know me. I mean, I, I suppose people, uh, you know, my friends would say I have, you know, a sort of a black sense of humour. Um, you know, I'm always interested in the dark side of, 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 of humour. But... I just, I think, I just think about stuff all the time. Um, you know, I, I always give the example of um, my partner Tim and I were at a park uh, near La Perouse, and these guys were flying those um, those really big uh, remote control helicopters and oh, yes. airplanes, and I was like all right, can you kill someone with that? You know, and I I said, I was like, I'm never going to see these guys again. So I walked over and I was like, okay, so if you flew that into someone's head, (laughs) 
you know, and they were telling me about all these injuries that their friends have had and this guy in the US had a helicopter one and he killed his son with it accidentally oh. and, you know, all this sort of stuff. Like I, I just think it just my, my mind turns around to that. Um, all, all of the books that I read in my spare time are all sort of crime fiction or true crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the TV series I watch are all true crime or crime fiction, um, you know, so I'm just, it's just my lifestyle, I suppose. Well, do you uh, ever just read or, or about, you know, fluffy clouds or no. YouTube videos <laughs> of kittens or something? No, I can't. I really can't stand it, you know. <laughs> and I, I said to um, Tim, uh, you know, we were deciding what tv series to watch next you know and he said after the last one um you know which was quite uh you know grisly he said i think i need a refresher of you know like comedy tv series and i said i just i just you know are people gonna die in it or not I said, <laughs> if, if nobody's dead by the end of episode one i'm kind of not that interested <laughs> you know i just think it's the peak i've gone straight to the peak of the human existence i think which is is people killing each other and i just don't have any time for like all the stuff that goes on before that all the romance and the <laughs> I don't know. Maybe so, I'm odd. <laughs> what's the most challenging thing about writing a book like Hades or Eden, you know, where there's these, it's, it is a little bit dark, but also it's um, complex because there's a lot of things that need to make sense. They've got to need explanation. Um, and obviously it needs to be written well as well. And they are written well. They're, they're written fantastically. Well, oh, what, what is the most challenging thing about writing a book like these? Um, I suppose it is, like you said, that uh, keeping the, the, the plot tense and tight and thrilling. Um, you know, I wrote Hades with the general practice, I suppose, that at the end of every um, scene, because it jumps back and forth, and I thought at the end of every scene something needs to be clearly at stake, you know, so yeah. that, they're, you know, readers are ending a chapter and they're going, oh, my God, I can't believe, you know, I can't wait to see what happens next, mm. you know. Um, and if you're ending a chapter and and it's sort of like and then everything was fine for a while, you know, they're <laughs> going to they're gonna put the book down because they, they, they don't really in particular, you know, aren't stressed about what's going to happen next. It's about keeping people stressed. Mm. And, uh, you know, so many readers have said to me, oh, my God, I read this in 10 hours. I just mm. I, I didn't even eat. I just uh, read it straight, you know, mm. and and so I suppose. I didn't realise how difficult it is to write like that until I came to Eden, you know, and I was ending ending parts and going, but what, you know, what is at stake here? Mm. Uh, it's, it's also the twisty, turny kind of trying to not reveal who the killer is but hinting at it and not being too obvious. Um, I used to hate it when I was a teenager and I'd write, I'd write creative pieces and I'd give them to my friends and, you know, a couple of pages in, um, you know, they'd, they'd be reading it and they'd turn to me and go, oh, it's this guy, isn't it? And I'd go, damn it, <laughs> stop that, don't say that, you know, and what, what gave it away? And, uh, and I was too, too obvious. So it's a subtle mm. game, yeah. Wow. Now you yeah. mentioned um, that your dad was a parole officer at a Sydney jail and I understand he worked there for 30 years. So mm. you had a long time of hearing stories from, from, yeah. from your dad. I understand also that, um, you know, back then you, you had, they had their Christmas parties at the jail and you as a little kid were running around the jail. and Yeah, uh, what, yeah. What, tell me more about that. 
Yeah, that's weird. I'm I'm <laughs> certain that they don't allow that anymore, but we're talking about 20 years ago, you know. Um, they would have, uh, you know, and I'm purposefully not saying which prison because sure. I think he, he likes his privacy. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, they would have, yeah, staff Christmas party and um, and mum loved it, you know, because she, she, she loves prisons and criminals and that <laughs> sort of thing. And so we would rock up and, you know, they'd have shut the whole prison down, obviously. It was at night, all the prisoners were in their cells. And we'd have, you know, um, fruit cake and stuff that the inmates had prepared, and oh you know, mum would be like, "Oh, you know, chew carefully, kids," and, <laughs> and and you know, trying to freak us out about it. But then uh, they'd open up the yard, the prison yard, and we could all run around out there, and they'd take us on a little tour. Um, I remember they took us on a tour of like the mental ward or the uh, forensic ward or whatever it was and uh, you know we were knocking on the glass and mm. and the inmates are on the other side like hello <laughs> um so it was quite uh you know I'm sure I'm sure they just don't do that anymore uh they would show sure. us the different but I remember the work rooms and and that sort of thing and they'd, they'd lock us all in a cell and all the little kids and we'd be oh you know <laughs> I'm a um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, very weird. Um, so, uh, I, you know, uh, you could count um, on your hand the amount of people, you know, that you've ever met that have been inside a prison. You yes. Know? I just used to go there every year and um, it was great. It was and, fabulous. Yeah, to meet Santa. That, that's just nuts. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so writing books like this, uh, you've told me about the most challenging, but what's the most fun, what's the most enjoyable part of it? I suppose going into everyone's minds, um, mm. particular, you know, because I, I write from the killer's perspective uh, or, you know, or third person and I, I have a look at Frank's perspective and, and this sort of thing. So I can kind of live all these different lives, um, which is really interesting because when I pick up the killer, I'm like, you know, uh, really rooting for myself. I'm like, got to get away, got to get away with it, you know. <laughs> And, and I'm kind of on my own team, you know, on that side. And then I, I drop them and I pick up Frank and I go, got to catch him, got to catch him, you know. So it's like I'm playing this weird cat and mouse game in my mind. Yes. Um, and just it's, it's the freedom of being able to explore what interests me uh, because – you know, I am writing characters that perhaps resemble, you know, people that I don't like. And then I'm thinking, what am I going to do to you? Uh, well, you know, how am I going to depict you? And what's going to end up happening to you? And, you know, or well, people that I do like, I'm taking different aspects from, uh, you know, people that I admire and sort of weaving them into characters, um, mm. you know, stitching in somebody's way of talking and stitching in somebody else's hairstyle and, you know, it's it's just you build a little community of people who aren't real and you can get attached to them, mm. um, you know. I'm very attached to the whole crew and I'm just going to have to leave them for the next book but, um, you know, and then I've got a whole bunch of new people to meet so mm. it's wonderful. Wonderful, yeah. I was actually going to ask you, you know, what kind of research would you have done for these books? But the reality is that you've been living and breathing yeah, the research yeah. for so long that did you have to do extra research? 
I did. I mean, I didn't know much about organ transplant, you know, when I when I started. Um, but it wasn't difficult to find people who would talk to me about that. Once people hear that you're that you're writing a book, that's all they want to do. And people want to talk about themselves. I find, um, you know, mm. as much as they protest, people love talking about themselves. Um, every every now and then, like the research that I have to do is is weird stuff that I come up against um for example recently i you know in book three i just had to find out what time baywatch was on uh, <laughs> uh in australia like in the mid 90s and i just went to the facebook page and i said does anyone remember when you know and what channel and what time and it was actually less than th- less than a minute i got somebody who was like oh yeah sunday 7 30 channel 7 <laughs> i was like wow <laughs> this is better than google <laughs> yeah. now you've written the you've written it mainly from the point of view of Frank, who is Eden's uh, police partner, you know, mm-hmm. detective partner. Yeah. And um, and when I first started reading, and I thought, oh, how unusual, uh, you know, the, it's from the point of view of this guy. And obviously, I've met you before, so this guy's so nothing at all like you. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and and but it works really well. What did you have to do to get into the mind of a middle aged, you know, male? guy who doesn't really look after himself so well. Um, dude. Um, I suppose I've known a lot of guys who are like Frank. Um, you know, I was in the Navy uh, just for two years when I was a young lady and I've observed a lot of men who are sort of like that kind of rough and tumble and just gripping their way through life, you know, one handle at a time. Um, and I've always gotten on with people who are like that. And, and particularly men who are like that um, better than I do. It's just, you know, the, the female experience is a bit of a um, foreign landscape to me. I go to bars and I see, you know, five women all dressed up for a hen's night or something and they're drinking white wine and chattering away and this sort of stuff and I think, what are you talking about? How do you all know each other? What is going on over there? You know, I don't understand. I don't understand women um very much <laughs> understand myself I guess but you know what I mean but I feel as though I understand men um so it was just easier it was easier I mean I've done female characters before and they always come off sort of super aggressive or super feminine and kind of catty and uh you know and you'll find you know Eden in particular is very um uh, aggressive and masculine and, and this sort of thing. So, and she would never be at a hen's night chattering away. No, yeah. So I, I'm not sure I could authentically do those girly girls, you know. Tell uh, us about your path to publication for Haiti. So you had 200 rejections for the yeah. novels before. Yeah. Then Hades. Can you just sort of briefly tell us the key steps in getting Hades to publication? Um, I, I I just knocked on every door, every single door. Um, you know, uh, for 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 all of the novels. Uh, what I but would do you do, mean publishers or agents? Oh, or publishers. What? No, I, I I sort of felt um as though it would be as hard to um impress an agent as it would be to impress a publisher, and it was. Um, you know, the few times that I tried it, so I just um I thought oh, I'll be cheeky and I'll just go straight to the publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because I ended up getting an agent eventually uh but um I just knocked on absolutely every door and I think the key was eventually to 
give up on um, a book, if I had knocked on every single door and everybody had had said no, I would put it in a drawer and write another one, you know. Uh, And I just was determined to keep writing novels every year until one of them hit gold, Um, you know. So I didn't see four as as a four novels as a failure of four novels. I just sort of saw it as four practice novels before mm. the real thing. Yeah. So, so you knocked on every door. Mm. And then like what happened? Oh, um well I uh see it's interesting because Hades was um uh, actually almost published in the UK um, by an independent publisher and he was the first person, he was actually in the Isle of Man and he was the first person ever to have said yes to anything I'd ever written. Um, so I said, yeah, great, I'll publish the book with you. Mm-hmm. And then he had it for two years and then he just was fiddling around with it, I don't know. Um, we were waiting on a cover to be created for six months and then he just said, look, I've run out of money. Mm. You know, and so I I had really given up, and so I said to I was writing a post-apocalyptic alien book at the time, just just for fun. And I said to my boss um, at the university where I was working, I said, "You don't know any um, people in publishing, do you?" And she said, "Oh, you should try um, Gabby Naya because she she um, helped her with her book." And then uh, I sent it to Gabby and, um, you know, she said, oh, I've seen a lot of crime around, you know, I've, I've had lots of experience in it, I'm kind of sick of it, it really had to blow my socks off and all this other discouraging stuff. <laughs> <laughs> she's a bit of a hard case, so she's really good. Um, and she said all that and I said, oh, all right, well, here's hoping, you know, and then three days later she called me and she was like, we need to meet each other, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So it was great. It was so good. And she's such a good friend to me now, mm. um, you know. So, yeah. And um, Hades won the Ned Kelly Award for Best Debut in 2014, which is fantastic. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and so when you started writing Eden, did you feel, you know, the pressure? Oh, my God, can I do it again? Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. I was telling people it's like I I threw a, a dart at a dartboard blindfolded and hit you know, hit the bullseye and then people are saying, all right, now do it again. With no extra tries, you've just got to, you know, throw and do it again, you know. And it was it was very, very scary, um, mm. you know, and, and it's such a relief that it's done well and that people are loving it and it's getting good reviews and everything um, because, yeah, it was just terrifying. Um, I had uh, about a quarter of the time that I'd had on Hades. I mean, I wrote Hades over the space of about – a year and a half and then that that publisher and I fiddled around with it for two years, you know, and then they've said, um, okay, so write us another one and give it to us you know, by December, you know, so the, the time and the pressure was on. I was doing my PhD and, you know, just freaking out in general. Um, so, yeah, yeah, very stressful. Um, and, and being the new kid around, I, I feel as though I've just been absolutely blessed and I don't want to mess it up. Mm. Oh, you haven't messed it up. They're both fantastic books. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so what's your advice then? Some people are listening out there and they're, they're, they've, you know, they've had some rejection letters or they're scared to put their work out there or even just to approach publishers. What's your advice on what they should do? Um, I don't be, oh, you know, when I was one of those people, I would really hate it when, you know, published authors would say, just keep on trucking, you know, you'll get there. <laughs> 
uh, I would hate it because I just think, you know what, you don't understand me. Um, but, it, you know, that, there's a certain amount of that in there. Um, someone said, I don't know who it was, I, I just get quotes that I like and I don't care who said them. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody said, um, if you can be persuaded to not be a writer, then you should. Um, so, you know, people just couldn't persuade me that this pipe dream was never going to happen. I just had my heart set on it and I was mm. just going to do it, um, you know, and so I just wrote a book a year. And I, mm. I, I don't think I heard anyone saying put the book down if it's failed, uh, you know, but that is my advice. If you've written it and you've edited it and it's 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 gone to every single door and every door's remained shut, put it down and do something else because I think people re-edit Mm. at that point and then they re-edit and then they re-edit and it's like getting a painting and and just keeping painting over and over and over it just gets big and cluggy and you know um the original thing is lost Mm. and you should just start fresh um you know and it's like a Oh, it's like a relationship. Every book is like a relationship and, and if it doesn't work out, don't keep flogging the dead horse. Go and find <laughs> someone else, you know. <laughs> yeah. And on that note, that's brilliant <laughs> advice. Thank you so much for your time today, Candace. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, was the lovely and very talented Candace Fox. Now, since we recorded that interview, she released Hades and has just released Never Never, which she co-wrote with James Patterson. Now, I've spoken to Candace since then, and she said that it was such an honour and privilege and a wonderful opportunity, of course, to be asked to collaborate with James Patterson, who is one of the iconic crime and thriller writers of, uh, of our time. But I want to talk about how that collaboration came about. You know, as writers, it can be tempting sometimes to sit in our cosy rooms and and just to stay indoors and to play on social media as a form of connection. After all, we love words and we love writing that sometimes it can take a bit of effort to for us to put on our fancy clothes and to go out. But that's exactly what Candace did because one of the things that's really important when you're an emerging writer is to make sure you get out there and to make contacts in the industry. And so Candace met James Patterson at a cocktail party. And it was a cocktail party actually run by her publishers, so that was of course quite handy. But he was visiting Sydney at the time and no, she said she was fairly nervous to meet him, but she made herself go up and talk to him. And no doubt she made an impression because it wasn't long after that James Patterson asked Candace to co-write the book with him. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that everyone you go up to in a cocktail party and an industry function is suddenly going to give you an amazing break, but if you don't do it at all, you're not even in the running. So, as a writer, Getting published is more than just about the words. It's also knowing the right people or at least making an effort to be part of the industry because then you are top of mind when an opportunity like this comes up. So I hope you enjoyed the first episode in our pop-up series of Murder and Mayhem. We look forward to bringing you many more in the month to come. 
The Murder and Mayhem podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses, with online and classroom writing courses in all genres of writing, including crime writing. Students enrol from all over the world. You'll find a course to suit your needs right here at writerscentre.com.au. 